Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider, also have an MBA in finance, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Great day to, to be here, guys. Yeah, it is. It is a great day to be here, isn't Good it? You know, another, Saturday. another great football Saturday. Yeah, yeah. some big games coming up. Uh, some huge games coming up today, and we'll we'll get to that here in just a second. But yeah, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are here every Saturday, like today, from nine to ten a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right hand corner can stream us from your uh, comforts of your house. Um, if you miss the show, we have the podcast out there. A lot of, uh, of our clients and folks that listen say they go back and listen to the podcast during the week. So we, uh, we try to make it easy to, to catch the money doctors. Yeah, and you can pull it right off our website. We'd also love to hear your comments and your questions. Um, you know, we read questions out here on the air that we get. So uh, email us your questions. You can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us there on our website, moneymd.net. Um, well, guys... We do have another great week. I mean, what a great week to talk about football, isn't it? I mean, football just doesn't get any better than this season. I'm not sure why you're so happy. If you look at Georgia and Carolina together, their wins totaled between the two of them are eight. I mean, y'all only have eight wins. I mean, that's a good point, John. Yeah. So we're only twice as good as you guys this year. I I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe more. (laughs) Hey, having said that, I mean, I, I have spent too many years, you know, in my career here boasting about football only to have my hopes dashed like brutally mm-hmm. you know uh, we remember when we got beat by what was it west virginia and the playoffs i think they're still scored bowl games yeah wow. i mean yeah, that was a beat down that yeah. was a beat down yeah. and i mean it seems like the years when we have great hopes you know i mean it only takes a couple fumbles yeah, that's and right. the whole season can be washed so it's a big game today with florida state yeah, yeah. i mean they've had our number four out of the last five times so i'm not gonna boast too much but it is kind of exciting that we're the number one yeah you know uh college playoff ranked team now i'm impressed i, I mean they, I've, I've watched them throughout the year and they've done well and georgia and carolina are suffering so they are you know go ahead and yeah. bask in your your glow right now we'll let you do that we, i have no doubt carolina is gonna get some really high dollar high yeah, big so. impact coach <clears throat> and you know they have a way of of pulling their their team back together i think donald trump may be on the top of the list <laughs> <laughs> he could probably recruit some good players Man, he just, you know, yeah. he can say, "Hey, yeah, come play on our team, and you'll be on the Apprentice next <laughs> season." Something you know? he could certainly afford them. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we got some exciting games coming up. We got uh, Carolina's playing Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be Georgia has, is hosting Kentucky. Yeah. All right. Georgia well, takes off. So that's right. Georgia yeah. takes off, and Clemson is right there at Death Valley yeah, with Florida right. State. That's the big one here at three thirty. Okay. Well, we'll hang on to our hat for that. But meanwhile, we have a great show lined up for today. Um, you know, we're going to talk about um, 
Social Security. That's right. Um, jumping, jumping right into it there, Steve. You know, there are going to be some considerable changes like we talked about in previous shows. Talk about a game changer. You know, mm-hmm. But now, talking about a game changer, uh, it may affect the way that some people have already filed or some of the planning that they've done leading up to Social Security. And yeah. uh, this is going to be an interesting and this topic. Is the, the first of many changes to come. Yeah, and, the, and it has to. I agree. We, yeah. we budget, have to make changes. Yeah, the budget deal has just a summer. The budget deal has has made a couple changes, significant changes to Social Security and your options in Social Security. So we'll talk about that in the first segment. That's that's a great topic. We're also going to talk about you know the. The needless car maintenance. Um, you can save money and headaches on car maintenance if you just avoid the needless car maintenance. And there is a lot of it here. So very interesting topic, um, very interesting article here. Um, so we'll talk about some of the things you don't need to do to your car that will save you a lot of money. Yeah, that's good. And then we're going to uh, close out with um, a story about the worst market timer ever. And, um, you know, we have you know some volatility in the markets. They've done uh, pretty well in the last month and a half. But before that, quite a bit of volatility. We went through a, a correction in the market. And, you know, a lot of people are scared and trying to figure out what to do. Well, this actually goes through some statistics historically and looks at if you invested on the worst day possible, what it what it meant return-wise. What so, if you were the worst market timer? Yeah. We've known a few of those guys. <laughs> yes, we, over we the years. Yes, yeah, we have. we've met some people that got it exactly wrong. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Okay, well, we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from a, a Gallup poll, and uh, it talks about college graduates, and only 38% in the last 10 years um, strongly agree that their undergraduate education was worth the cost. That's sad. It is. I mean, you know, you look at um, the number of, I don't know how many people they, they surveyed, but 30, one, one in three people felt good about their college education. That's not a that's not a high number. It's not a high number. That means there's a bunch of people out there that just think their college education wasn't worth the money, yeah. bottom line. I don't know if it's the degree um, or maybe the jobs aren't available. I'm not sure what's attributing to that, but, uh, man, I sure... I, what I thought it would have been flipped, maybe 70%. Well, I think sometimes you see these college students, they'll get into a track of education, you know, a degree program. They'll get going, and then they feel almost trapped. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. hey, I've got to finish here. I need to finish, get my degree, and then I'll try to figure out what I'm going to do after that. Right, right. Yeah, and they come out with a bunch of debt, and then we've been in a very poor job market That's here right. for quite a while, so not able to get a job, and you don't have... Thirty thousand, thirty, forty thousand dollars of, of college loans. I mean, I could see why they'd feel bad about their yeah, yeah, for their sure. education. Okay, interesting fact of the week, um, and that leads up here to first, our first topic, and that is about the Social Security claiming strategies that have gone away here recently with the recent budget deal. That's Ouch. right, Steve. That's right. Uh, this this particular article comes out of Investment News uh, by a lady named Mary Beth Franklin. And, you know, there's lots of questions about a pending congressional uh, budget deal that could affect many, many people, like we've already mentioned. Uh, And so she started getting tons and tons of uh, inquiries from financial advisors and individuals. So she decided to to address this through this article. And uh, it says, you know, will, will retirees who already exercise such creative claiming strategies, such as file and suspend or file a restricted claim uh, for spouse benefits before this legislation is signed into law be grandfathered in. So basically, will they be able to continue uh, the same uh, pattern that 
and strategy that they're using, and it it appears in most cases that they will not be protected. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about what that means. Um, you know, first, there was legislation that just passed the House and the Senate and was signed by President Obama here this past week right. um, into law. And, you know, it all started really with uh, the administration's call for changing the rules to eliminate the aggressive Social Security claiming strategies that they claim they were aggressive, which allowed upper income beneficiaries to kind of, you know, manipulate the timing a little bit where they would file and suspend their Social Security benefits. Well, one thing that we have been talking about that we mentioned earlier is that, yes, there does need to be some changes to Social Security. Yeah, there, there does. I mean, it's it's run out of money, quite frankly. So, you know, you got to save some money some places. And these are two things that I think made sense to change but i mean it's abrupt and it wasn't a conversation about it and it just happened all at once so it's kind of a shock to people that are getting ready to retire that have been yeah. planning on doing this spousal benefit thing and it seems like that they we're talking about here it seems like they would have grandfathered people in as well that's surprising or had some kind of phase in or something to it well and they they grandfather people that are already doing it yeah. already drawing it but not if you're if you're below 62 yeah right you don't turn 62 till next year forget it yeah yeah so d- during backroom negotiations um leaders of both parties and administration fi- officials they worked out a budget compromise to keep the government running for the next two years and avoid a short shutdown um before the government's borrowing authority runs out um uh, this next week so I think that's positive. Um, there needs to be some changes in that area as well. But in, included in that massive legislation, there are also a couple of surprises that's that right. um, people weren't expecting. That, that's right. They're 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 looking to close, you know, some loopholes. Uh, in particular, in Section eight thirty one of this document uh, is titled "Closure of Unintended Loopholes." Uh, the document summarizes. Uh, excuse me. It's some. Um, the document summary explains that this provision closes several loopholes in the Social Security rules regarding the filing a restricted claim for spousal benefits and suspending benefits in order to prevent individuals from obtaining larger benefits than Congress, you know, really intended. Yeah, and there's kind of two effective dates for this proposal. I mean, one, you know, protects anybody who is 62 or older by the end of the year, and they continue to claim the spousal benefits when they reach full retirement age, um, just like they were they were planning to do. Um, but that assumes their spouse has actually claimed and is receiving their own Social Security benefits. So, you know, and then the other one, though, I mean, how if the spouse has filed and suspended in order to trigger a spousal benefit, then all bets are off. You know, we're not sure how that's going to play that's out right. just yet. That's right. Yeah, I have a client who just um, is going through this process right now, so he's probably going to get caught up in the middle of it. And you know, that's because, um, you know, a separate part of the proposal would eliminate the uh, current usage of the file and suspend that allows someone who has reached full retirement age to file for Social Security benefits but does not collect them in order to trigger the benefits for the spouse or maybe a dependent child. Meanwhile, the uh, retiree's own benefit would continue to grow at 8% per year up to the age of 70. So um, looks like they're closing that loop, loophole. Yeah, so we'll summarize this when we come back from the break. But um, if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Money, money, money. 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are um, kind of wrapping up our discussion here uh, before the break about the two Social Security strategies that have been basically done away with in this budget deal that mm-hmm. just passed, guys. Um, yeah, just last week, I mean, the president signed into into law the new budget deal that extends the budget debt limit for two years. But buried in that law, there were two Social Security strategies that they just abruptly ended, that will end at the beginning of this uh, next year. And basically what those were, there were two strategies. One is called file and suspend where you can file your benefits, you can immediately suspend it, and you can delay your own benefits. But what that used to do is that would allow your spouse to begin taking a spousal benefit because you had filed and suspended. Well, they have done away with that, saying that if you file and suspend, your spouse who's drawn a spousal benefit also has to suspend. You can no longer bo- you can no longer file and suspend mm-hmm. and allow your spouse to continue drawing. drawing a benefit off of your benefit. That was one, and the other one was the ability to be able to to suspend your own benefit or delay your own benefit and take a spousal benefit at age 66 or full retirement age, and then later switching back to your own benefit at, at age 70 or, or after that. Um, what they've said is now if you take a spousal benefit, you have to continue that benefit for life. You no longer have the option to switch back to your benefit mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. You cannot switch between the two, taking a spousal benefit or your own benefit. So they abruptly did away with both those strategies. And, you know, I mean, starting next year, yeah. it, they're no longer no longer available. So you're saying you need to be need to be more sure about your choice there. You need to know yeah. what you're going to do ahead of time. Exactly. And, um, you know, if you planned on those benefits and you're right here near retirement, uh, you got to recognize it's it's changed and it's probably just the beginning of many changes right john yeah i think so i think it's just a sign i think the writing's on the wall um you know i think we all agree that changes need to be made um we may not agree on exactly you know what changes or how they're going to be implemented but uh, you know you look at the programs and how they're struggling social security medicare um you know the deficit and so forth and you know, this is the first of many, many changes in the future. So when you're doing planning, be very conservative on Social Security. It's going to be less than, I think, what they're telling you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's a program that's kind of in trouble, and it definitely needs some changes. To, to you know, They're probably going to means test it down the road. So mm-hmm. when you're planning and you're not even age 50, say, you probably ought to start paring back whatever benefits you think you're going to get to be a little conservative. Right. Yeah, so that's a good point. Okay, um, good topic. That leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with life insurance, and the question is, is how long do I need to have life insurance? And I had that question from a client um, uh, about a week and a half ago, and, um, you know, they're going into retirement. Um, it, it, it depends, right? It, it depends on the debt level, really, and your obligations if you have kids and so forth. In this case, they had they had a, about a $30,000 policy. They had no debt, you know, paid off, you know, mortgage large cash pensions and so and basically the way i'd describe it is if if you passed away how would the other spouse um survive financially exactly and you know thirty thousand didn't move the needle at all for them so they could they could cancel it um you know it doesn't really matter if they keep it or not so yeah i think that's a good point and i just had this discussion this week with a client as well and 
you know, their situation was different because they don't really have a, a ton of savings, you know, and um, husband has the big spousal benefit. I mean, the big pension benefit, but the wife has no pension. So in their case, you know, that income from the pension is very, very important. So, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about it and said, you know, basically he probably needs life insurance up to age 75 or something um, because and, and you can do that in lieu of of 100 percent survivor benefit mm-hmm. on your pension. Um, because, you know, they, they need to make sure they have enough money to get her, you know, to the rest of her life if he predeceases her. In about age 75, they had enough that, you know, in their 401K that would carry her the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. That's really the issue, and that's what you need to look at is how much survivor income will you have if you predecease your, your spouse, and how long will they, you know, be able to make it on what you have? And if not, you need some insurance to get you there. Normally, somewhere in retirement, you can you can do away with insurance. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's a great question, though. Yeah. really is. And if you have a question about your specific situation, I'd be more than happy to uh, help you out with that. All right. Good question of the week. And that leads up here to our next topic, and that is how to save money and headaches on needless car maintenance. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, this this may not be the funnest topic for some people if you're not into cars. But, um, you know, still, I mean, even the smartest people sometimes feel foolish when they're speaking to car mechanics because, you know, we'll often say yes to maintenance services because we figure that the auto mechanic, you know, knows what's best for our cars and they have our best interests at heart maybe. However, um, you know, what we found and what they point out in this article here from the bottom line personal um, is that, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, owners overspend because they have a less-than-honest auto repair shop that talks them into services their cars don't really need. And, you know, they may not understand that today's vehicles, you know, have different needs than those from, you know, 20 years ago. Um, you know, and so uh, among some of the most common money-wasting mistakes that cars owner, owners make, the first one here is fluid flushes. Um, there are some quick lube shops, independent mechanics, car dealerships that will pressure owners into trying to re- replace uh, automotive fluids that are still perfectly fine. In some cases, it'll mean draining the entire system and doing a complete flush on the system costs somewhere between seventy and one hundred and fifty dollars a piece. And in fact, you know, it's it's not needed at all. You know, one example of that is brake fluid flushes. Don't trust any automotive shop that recommends that you flush your brake system regularly <clears throat> because brake fluid can last as long as your vehicle. You don't typically have to flush it. <clears throat> the only exceptions would be, you know, if you have some um, some moisture maybe that got in the system or your brake, brake fluid's overheated and it's burnt. Um, that would be very, very rare. So typically, you don't need to do that. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the, what to do is, you know, to, to save yourself some money is visually inspect your brake fluid once or twice a year. You can ask your mechanic to do it as well. Uh, brake fluid should be clear um, or translucent. So if the fluid is rust-colored, uh, you may have some moisture in there, and you may need to do something with it. But if it's clear or translucent and it doesn't smell burnt, um, you know, maybe you only do it per the maintenance schedule. So, um, you know, visually look at that or, you know, work with your mechanic that you trust and, and ask him that question. But, I mean, it's 70 150 bucks. Yeah. I mean, that would be very rare. And you could do more damage than good by flushing the whole system and you might get air on the line. I mean, you know, so there's there's a lot of things that you you don't want to mess with. And I think, you know, brake fluid is one of those things. Another one here, though, is power steering fluid flushes. 
Um, power steering, that can last the life of your vehicle, too, unless, you know, it's otherwise noted in your, your maintenance schedule and your owner's manual. So read your owner's manual, check it out, and see what it says to do. Um, you should inspect it at least twice a year. You know, whenever you go get a lube job on your vehicle, they usually do check the brake fluid level. So the level needs to make sure it's up. But, you know, unless it smells burnt or you see some black grime, metal flakes in the fluid itself, you can shine a light in there in the reservoir and spot those flakes, um, then you probably shouldn't shouldn't mess with it, you know. So a uh, mechanic, though, I mean, they, sh- they should be able to look at that and tell you. But in general, don't accept anybody that tells you you have to switch out your brake fluid or your power steering fluid routinely that that's a that, that's a red flag yeah and the same thing with your transmission fluid steve uh you know automatic transmission fluid should be it should be flushed occasionally uh, but some disreputable you know quick lube shops recommend these flushes it seems like every time someone comes in the shop yeah you know then it's like hey let's flush the transmission fluid um but it's it's not necessary uh that often you know, uh, we we should look at flushing the the fluid about every thirty five thousand miles or so, and make sure that when they do that, that they also change um, the filter with that flush or with that change uh, with the fluid. Some automakers say that you can wait as as far as a hundred thousand miles, but remember, transmission fluid it is an oil and it can break down over time. So this one is a situation where it would be better to err a little bit. On the safe side, probably with the 35,000-mile recommendation, but not every time you go in, you know, for an oil change or something. Yeah, they can get a little crazy with those recommendations. Um, Another one here, though, is engine oil flushes. You know, I mean, you ask some quick lube shops and mechanics, you know, for a $25 oil change, and they're going to try to sell you a $100 or $200 engine oil flush. Um, They'll claim this only way to really clear out years of sludge out of your engine. The trouble is... Any sludge that an oil flush dislodges, that could clog up your oil pump and your, you know, your pickup screen causing even more problems than it solves. So you want to be careful there. I mean, here's what you do is have your oil change, not flush. Get oil changes according to your maintenance schedule in your um, owner's manual. You know, that's likely every 5,000 or 7,500 miles, not every 3,000 miles like the old rule of thumb used to be. Um, you know, also, I mean, if you want to lean on, on the safe side, then, you know, lean toward the high-quality synthetic oil, such as Amsoil or um, Mobile One, assuming that, you know, synthetic oils are recommended by, again, your owner's manual. You know, that's going to cost probably double what a regular uh, oil job, you know, to change job would cost. So, um, you know, that's what you do with the oil changes. And that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and Gina News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are going to continue our discussion here about the 
unneeded car maintenance. You know how you can save money and headaches mm-hmm. by not doing these unnecessary car maintenance things. I mean, this is kind of a common area where I think people get burned. You know, they go to their their car mechanic and you know who they think's reputable, and and obviously you know their incentive is to recommend things that you may not necessarily need. And, uh, you know, these fluid flushes are one of the big things, you know. <laughs> Any type of fluid flush, I think we said, even if it's on your personal body or if it's, <laughs> if it's in a car, you, you may not need it, Get okay? opinion. It may be useless. So, uh, yeah, don't go in for the, uh, the colon cleansing either. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so these fluid flushes, one was a brake system flush. You definitely don't need to do that unless there's some major problem with your brake system. Um, that is something that's not designed to ever be flushed. Um, you know, power steering fluid flushes, again, not designed to be flushed, not even designed to be changed, you know, neither the brake fluids. So you don't want to flush those systems unless there's some major problem. And then there's transmission fluid flushes, which we mentioned. I mean, that is designed to be to be drained and replaced occasionally. But only on occasion. <clears throat> but only occasion. You know, that's like every 35,000 miles. That's not something you do every oil change. That's right. I know some people that do it every oil change, and that's fine if you want to do that, but it costs more money, and it's really not not necessary according to the owner's manual and the maintenance schedule is recommended for your car. So check that out, look in your owner's manual and see what it says. And then engine oil flushes, you know, obviously you got to change your engine oil, you know, and you're supposed to do it every 5,000 or 7,500 miles for most new vehicles. So you want to look in your owner's manual and see what that is. But, you know, flushing the system, like flushing the whole thing out, and, you know, you got to be careful about that. You dislodge a lot of gunk in your engine. Even if your engine has a lot of gunk in it, you don't really want to dislodge it. Because if you do, you know, that can plug up your, your oil pump. It can plug up the screen that's in there. It can cause all kind of problems, you know. I mean, you want to leave that gunk alone, quite frankly. Let it stay where it is, because otherwise it's, it's going to migrate somewhere else. That's right. It might be the only thing holding your engine together. <laughs> Have you ever considered that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gunk of glue. Leave the gunk alone. Glue gunk. <laughs> so that's the engine oil. And uh, so that leads us up here to unnecessary cleanings. Yeah, and that may seem like a wise uh, investment. And we're talking about the brake system cleanings here. And typically that involves taking the brakes apart, washing, maybe even sandblasting the components. And that can cost, you know, upwards of 100 bucks, And it's probably not necessary. I mean, modern braking systems are designed to pretty much take care of themselves without this treatment. So so what should you do? I mean, you know, don't agree to do this unless it's recommended by a mechanic that you trust and your vehicle has an experienced um, has experienced a braking problem such as maybe a high pitched squeal or, you know, brake pads are, are not worn out. So um, you know, again, we keep coming back to mechanics that you trust. We've said that a number of times. That's so make the sure key. you have someone that you that um you know, because cars are not my thing, I, and it sounds like Steve, it, it is based on your your terminology over there. You you can open it up, but um, that's not my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, it's not everybody's cup of tea, and it's you know I I prefer not to work on my car, but I just do it out of out of necessity. I think but, we're going to start taking our vehicles over to his house. What do you think? Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Well, it'd be, are we going to have to schedule an appointment? Or you is won't that save kind of money by in? you won't save money by doing that, John. We'll I can assure you, lunch you or something. You know? I can assure you, it's going to be more expensive than uh, wherever you're taking your car now. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to clean, like brake systems, for instance. I mean, they're designed to be nasty, okay? They're going to be nasty after you operate your car for about 15 minutes. You know, I mean, that's a brake system, so you don't want it shiny and pretty. It doesn't need to be, so don't don't listen to anybody that says you need to clean it all up. 
Um, you know, and then there's the fuel system cleanings. You know, you don't want to do that either. Um, usually, I mean, occasionally you need to clean the fuel system if, and it is recommended occasionally. You know, um, in your owner's manual, like every thirty-five thousand miles, but not every five thousand or ten thousand miles. It's an expensive service, and they need to know what they're doing when they do it. Um, it's not something you do lightly. You know, you can buy, you know, the fuel injector cleanings that you put in with your gas, and, and that will help as well. But don't go in and, you know, every five, ten thousand 10,000 miles and let them clean the whole fuel injection system. Um, they can mess the system up. they got to know what they're doing when they do that. Okay. And any uh, service offered by a car wash but beyond the wash itself, <laughs> no, don't do it. No transmission replacement. That's right. No. You know, car washes, they're, they're great at washing your car. That's all they're good for, okay? The paint sealants, the protectants, the undercoating sealant, the color waxes, you know, all that stuff washes off your car is pretty much useless because it'll wash off your car the first time it rains. You mean that rainbow foam is not yeah, good? that's what they say here. You don't do it. It's useless. You know, the only thing we're paying a car wash for is a car wash unless maybe they do a hand wax job yeah. you know that that might be okay so anyway and here, here's another good point uh as we kind of wind down a little bit don't cut corners you know there, there are some things that you can kind of put off or delay but don't cut corners on your regular maintenance and the regular vehicle maintenance because if you do it could end up costing you more in the long run for example this is something you've uh, talked about before steve buying generic brake pads or delaying brake pad replacement you know low quality brake pads they'll they'll wear out faster than the higher quality ones and that means that you'll you'll have to return to the shop sooner to replace them than if you would have just spent a little extra money and bought the good quality ones from from the beginning so, you know, delaying brake pad replacement or using low-quality brake pads also, it increases the wear on the brake rotors itself. And then whenever you start getting down to the rotors, then you're really starting to, to you know, absorb some considerable costs there. So, you know, using worn-out or low-quality brake pads also, that could reduce your ability to bring your vehicle to a safe stop. And ultimately, you know, that's what it's, that's what it's about is being safe in your car as well. So Yeah, that's what the brakes are for. Don't, don't no sacrifice kidding. the safety. No kidding. Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, you can inspect your brake pads, and if they're worn down to less than an eighth of an inch is what I would say. Not, they're saying quarter here, but, you know, brake pads are only like three-eighths yeah, of an they're, inch they're thick, you know. Thick. So, I mean, come on. Um, so I'd say an eighth of an inch, you know. And, and the great thing is you can inspect those pretty easily nowadays because most cars have have these alloy, you know, spoke wheels. You can shine a flashlight in there, and you can see the edge of the brake pad. And, you know, if they're disc brakes, which most cars are nowadays, so just look at the edge of the brake pad and and, and look at it. And if it's less than about an eighth of an inch, you know, yeah, they, they need to be replaced. Um, so that's the good thing. And you certainly want to get good brake pads. You know, there's like Wagner or Bendix they mention here. Um, but, you know, brake pads, they'll the cost of the pad is, is a lot less than the cost of the labor, you know, the effort and the labor of changing them. So you want to get the best pad you can that lasts a lot, lot longer. That or the result of having faulty brakes. Exactly. Yeah. So you want you want pads that are the best you can get, really. So don't go cheap on brake pads. We've talked about that before. Um, the other thing here is not replacing your air filter regularly. You don't want to cut corners there. Um, you know, every twelve, fifteen thousand miles, you need to replace the air filter. It usually, only costs fifteen, twenty bucks to do it. 
Um, so go ahead and replace the filter. You can do it yourself. If you go to a uh, the you know the loop shop, they're always going to recommend you replace the filter, and that's fine if you want to let them do it. You know they should do it at the cost of the filter itself because they're going to mark it up anyway and make their money there. Um, they shouldn't have to pay labor to get that done because it's nothing. Yeah, there's it's, not much labor involved. It's like in that. pop two clips and you know pull it out and put another thing in. So you know don't pay extra for that um, or do it yourself. So uh, that's kind of the the thing there. Um, and I just get the paper filter. They mentioned some permanent filter here that you can take out and clean but i I don't think that's worth it it's you got to clean it good if you're going to clean it and and most people wouldn't know how to clean it good you need an air compressor you need some things to be able to really clean an air filter really good and uh i wouldn't even try that yourself that's kind of the bottom line okay and that leads us up here to our uh prescription of the week yeah if you're in the the market for a used car um this may be a pretty good time i mean a fuel efficient car you know, you look at the gas prices compared to a couple of years ago, much cheaper. Uh, SUVs, I think, are really hot. You know, people are buying SUVs. And so consider buying a used um, fuel-efficient car. They're just not in demand, which means the prices are, are kind of depressed right now, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> this, this study that was done um, apparently shows that there is a flood of fuel-efficient cars in the market right now because gas has been cheap for so long that people are going out and buying SUVs, and you have all of these two- or three-year-old cars coming off of leases that are these fuel-efficient cars, and so there's a flood of them on the market. There's a huge discount on them. You can buy a good-use, fuel-efficient car, um, and you can get a big discount on it. And, uh, you know, they're great cars, and they're fuel-efficient. And, hey, gas is not going to stay this cheap forever. Steve, did that study happen to say where some of the better places might be to look for some of these cars? I did not see it in that article that we pulled this from. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're open ideas. If you got one, go ahead. No, I, I don't have one. I'm asking. So that would that, yeah. be a, yeah, something just, I'd like to know. I mean, do research. I mean, there's a lot. There, I mean, the Internet is the way to shop. We've talked about that yeah, before. Yeah, I mean, there's e- eBay mold motors, you know. Yeah. I mean, all Auto Trader. Yeah. Auto Trader. Right. is a good one. Yeah. I mean, I'd look on, you know, all these car lots have tons of used cars now, and these fuel-efficient ones are in abundance. So it's a good idea to I go think, shop with those. I think Dave would approve of that. Yeah. It's a great money-saving way. Yeah. Buy your kids one of those good cars, too. Good idea. Okay. That leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call, 706-739-0725. We'll be right back after these master statements. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are um, starting a new topic here, um, the inspiring story of the worst market timer ever. Ever. John, ever. I mean, I, you know, I knew one of these people, actually, that sold on March the 9th. 2009. Are you serious? Yep. That was the absolute low. That's exactly when he sold. It was wow. the low date he sold that day. And I look back and say, wow, I mean, how did you do that? That was amazing. I had a client who um, went conservative, um, moderate aggressive down to conservative um, uh, December 31st of 2012. 
And if you think about 2013, yeah. the markets were up 30%. So he lost about $100,000 by yeah. making that move. And it was because there was budget budget wrangling up in Washington and so forth. But, I mean, you know, as if, if you're listening to us out there, you know that we don't believe in market timing. I mean, we just see the stati- studies and the stats and the own personal experiences. Um, just don't yeah. do it. And I've never seen a market timer that sold – at one price and bought in at a lower price. Mm-hmm. They always, when they get scared out of the market, when the market's down, they always buy in at a higher price because whatever caused you to get out, you know, is going to be worse when the market's lower. It's it's only going to feel better when the market's higher and you're yeah. going to buy in at a higher price and it's going to cost you money. Yeah. So we're going to kind of go through some uh, uh, an example here. If, if you did um, buy in on the worst day, what it looks like, and uh, this comes from uh, CNBC. Uh, a gentleman named Alex Rosenberg, and um, you, you know, guys, we went through a, a period of time here that stocks were um, were a little volatile. We had a correction back in the uh, third quarter, and so long-term investors, you know, some of them were induced to become more short-term oriented in their thinking, buying stocks on a single day's rally or selling them after a swift um, decline uh, that we saw during that time frame. But you know, based on historical performance of the S and P five hundred, it's that second decision, the fear-based move to sell. That's a more dangerous one. In fact, even if the if even if um, one was the world's worst market timer over the past several decades, you still made money on stocks, and that's according to an analysis done um, by a gentleman named Ben Carlson. So, um, y- you know, you don't have to time the markets to be successful. I mean, that's the the end game on all this. But uh, we'll kind of go through a story about Bob here to yeah describe. yeah he names his his unlucky investor. Bob. We'll call him poor Bob. What about Bob? Poor Bob. You know, remember the, like the Bob Dole thing from, didn't they call him like, it was like the Democrats named him like poor Bob or, yeah, uh, yeah that was and, before our time. Yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, diver- I diverge, you know. Um, yeah, Bob made his first investment in beginning of 1973, right before a 48% crash for the S&P 500. Then Bob, lucky Bob, he held on to his stocks after the drop and, you know, he's saving a total of $46,000, not getting up in the gumption to commit more savings until September 1987. Mm. Ouch, Bob. Ouch. Once again, right before a 34% crash. Man, poor Bob. And then Bob continued to hold tight and making only two more investments for retirement. One came right before the 2000 crash. Yeah, it was probably like March of 2000, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Yeah. You know, probably bought tech stocks. Ouch, Bob. Man, that was bad painful. timing. Bad timing. Then again, in the summer of 2007, Bob bought in again. So for a horrible Ouch. time period. It, it that was horrible. Couldn't have turned out. You know, I wouldn't couldn't wanna, have been any worse. I wouldn't want to travel with this guy on a plane or anything. I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, don't walk on any ladders, Bob. I mean, you are so unlucky. Ouch. Well, well, here's the question. How did Bob do after these 42 years of epic market misfortune? I'm sure it was horrible, wasn't it? Well, actually... He made money. Bob made really? money. Bob yeah, made he made money. money. Let's let's take a, a no close, way. Yes, he made money. We'll take a quick closer look at what you just described. You know, as the market successfully made record highs, Bob turned that hundred and eighty-four thousand he invested over the years. Remember, it was six thousand in nineteen seventy-three. 
46000 in 1987, 68000 he invested in 2000, and another 64000 in 2007. Lost so, it all, didn't he? No. He actually came out with $1.16 million. Get out of here. For a total no profit way. of $980,000. What? Hey, that represents an annualized return of roughly 9%. Who's, on a, yeah. whose calculator are you using? I mean, there's no way. Well, Is there? here's the key. He stayed in the market, yeah. and I think that's the whole point of this this article, right? Yeah, yeah. he never ever sold his holdings. I that's, mean, wow. Yeah, I've heard about people like this. Yeah, and, and you know, instead of he rode the stock market's long term trend higher. So even though he put the money in right before big crashes, um, you know, it still he stayed made, in. Yeah, he still made tremendous profits. You're, you're saying this is kind of like dollar cost averaging? Yes, it is. And it's interesting, though. He only did that over, he did four investments over those times. Now, it is a long time frame, guys. It's 40, it is. 42 it is. years. Uh, that kind of is the point, isn't it? It, it is. It, it is. So even someone, you know, we have discussions with folks that are 60 years old, and they're like, hey, I'm going to retire in two years. Well, yeah, that's true. And maybe you need to get a little bit more conservative, but that money needs to last you know, for 30 or 40 years. So, you know, that's when you start looking at long-term. And some of the blips that we have, it, it's noise. It's not something that um, you, know, you start making rash decisions on it. If he would have sold during these time frames, it doesn't show it in here, his return would have been minuscule. Horrible. Well, see, I mean, even if you invested this year, let's say you bought in May, you know, and the market took this full correction, was down 12%. Well, guess what? You know, we're we're getting pretty close back up to those mm-hmm. levels in May, and I bet by the end of the year, you know, we're probably there. If not, I mean, so, so you lose six months, you know, just because you got a little unlucky with your timing. If you have a five-year time horizon, what's the big deal? Yeah, you know, you yeah. can't guess those periods. So this makes a great point. It really yeah. does. And most people, when they do guess and they do try to time it, they don't get back in at the right time. We see that with the Dalbar study. But, you know, guys, this is a hypothetical study. But it, it, it goes on to point out that, you know, if you're, if you're a long-term investor, um, it has worked out historically. We think it's going to work out going forward. Obviously, past performance does not guarantee the future. But understanding history a little bit can help you get through some of these times. And you got to understand your time horizon a little bit. That, that's key. That um, is key. You know, if you have money that you're, you know you're going to spend in the next two to three years or even five years, maybe it's not in the market. Maybe it's in cash um, sitting to the side. So you got to make sure you have different buckets. And, you know, for that reason, if you do have spending needs, um, you know, in the next next couple of years, you need to diversify. You need to make sure you have a good diversified uh, portfolio. Yeah, that's the key. And, you know, if your time horizon is several decades long, like most young people and even even folks that are 10 years from retirement, you know, you're not planning to take all your money out when you retire, right? You're just planning to invest it till you're till you pass away, probably, you know, and just take income off of it. So you have a long time horizon for most people. And if so, um, you know, you have an extremely good bet of getting in and making good money if you just stay invested and don't try to jump out, you know, whenever you think it's headed down. Um, so, you know, the point here it really is if you have a decent time horizon, you need to just stay in there and not worry about the ups and downs mm-hmm. and the timing of when you got in. That's right. And whether the whether the future will resemble the past still remains, you know, uh, a question that we can't totally answer. Sure. You know, but some investment professionals doubt that the market can keep rising at an average ten percent or so a year, particularly if U.S. growth remains slow, um, such as in Japan, where the Nikkei index is essentially flat, you know, for two decades. Well, 
if that's true, that's one reason we talk about the diversification sure. approach so much and making sure that you have some international mixed in there because when things aren't going quite as well here, then maybe you know they're doing better, better abroad, and it just keeps a good mix. And, in fact, we've pointed out in some other studies that it actually lowers your volatility to have some international mixed in there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But as long as you know the, the key is stocks rising over the long term, you have a long time horizon. I had a, um, a meeting with a, a client this last week, and um, their, her mom has significant amount of money. And um, mom's like 90 years old, and mom has like $2 million in cash. And so the discussion is, is, well, you need to take part of that and put it into keep it in cash because you want to be very conservative and make sure mom is taken care of. The other piece of it is likely going to be inherited by the kids right. that are in their 50s and 60s. So then you start looking at, you know, maybe you want to start growing that money a little bit. So, it, you know, having different buckets is, is a good approach that you can not take, you know, make sure mom is taken care of, but this other money is likely going to be inherited, and you want to grow it over the next, you know, couple of decades. So Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you really want to take a long view on, you know, generations, things that you're going to pass down. I mean, you have a, a long view on your house, right? I mean, you're not going to stop putting roofs on your house just because you're five years from you know, maybe passing away, um, yeah. you know, you're going to put a good roof on there because your kids are going to inherit it, and yep. they're going to either keep it or sell it. So and just because you have one bad year in, in uh, football season doesn't mean it's going to continue forever. And That's true. Just know, Carolina will be superior again at some point, so we'll... Uh, yeah, just buy a good coach, and you'll be in good shape. <laughs> Don't no <try>. kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, that leads up to a, uh, the end of this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.com. Net. Email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call. Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Go Tigers. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Jesus